Yep, we're back, right? You're back. I've got to learn how to do this again. It's been three weeks since I've been on the show on the Four Outdoorsman. This is Steve Strusinski, Struman. Mark Lukey is here with me, uh, covered for me and the rest of the gang for the last couple of weeks. Was Sambo, and Sam's gone again. We're, we've got to get yeah, together. Still, we haven't been reunited, the three of us, in a month now. Sam is not feeling well, so he's staying home, unfortunately. He's really bummed out because he wanted to see you. But uh, we hope Sammy feels better. And he does get sick a lot. <laughs> but I understand because he's got a giant family and lots of little kids around. And when he's when he meets, he's like, oh, I'm hanging out with my family. That usually means like 30, 40 people with, yeah. with at least 15 small children. And with those of you with small children, know that they're sick all the time. You know, I uh, I can't relate. Hey, by, before we get before we, I'm 70 years old, man. Give me a break. Hey, got to thank uh, uh, Travis Thamert and his buddy Chris for playing on the Homegrown Show the last hour. And I don't, never heard of this guy, but he's very very good. So he's Travis, tall. Yeah, he's tall. muscular. He's like he's our, like our new buddy behind the glass there, Aaron. He's taking over for. Uh, I don't know about the muscular part. Yeah, yeah, tall. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, they're pretty good, so thanks for being on the Homegrown Show, you guys. Hey, before we get going, let's talk about our new sponsor, an old new sponsor. We've got somebody joining us again after uh, – Yeah, Balsam Beach time. Resort. Thank you so much for being a part of our show once again um, on Lake Plantagenet up by Bemidji. So excited. Clinton and Patty are just wonderful, wonderful people. They run a tight ship, and I really appreciated that. They're um, – their place is immaculate, and uh, I'm I'm booking. I think I'm going to book a week up there this summer with my in-laws family because I know that they would enjoy it. So thank you so much, Balsam Beach Resort, for coming back on with us, and we hope we can send a few people your way. We definitely will send a few people your way. You know, I, I'm on the site regularly because I like they, they update their site regularly. It's it's neat everything that goes on there. And uh, I'm excited about uh, spending the next couple of months uh, bragging about them and try to get up there ourselves sometime this summer. And uh, I'm sure we can do that, right? I'm sure we're going to get a chance. Yeah, we're, we have, um, we're going to go up there at least once, so we'll figure that out. Um, like one, one time is us, the four outdoorsmen, to spend some time up there. We went, I think it was, was it two years ago or was it during Corona? I can't remember anymore. Uh, it's it's all a blur. Yeah, it might be three by now because last year we couldn't. Last year I went by myself with okay. my friend uh, Barry and I caught that monster crappie. Do you remember oh, that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we went golfing. We had a, I had a great time. Those beautiful two three days I spent there. Uh, we went as the four outdoorsmen the year before that, I believe. Right. Where we caught some fish and had a great time. It was yeah. uh, a little cooler. I think it was early in the year. But uh, we're really, really excited to continue working with them, and we'll have to get them on again soon to see how their winter went and everything. Balsam Beach Resort and RV Park, thanks for being our sponsor once again. We will push you guys real hard. Hey, I'll tell you what, I missed you guys. It's been three weeks. I missed you, but it went real fast. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if we've ever gone three weeks without you being on the show. So um, we did all right. We got some great guests and, and promoted a few things, but we did miss you. It's funny, we had someone comment on our show when I said you'd be back, and someone said, well, you boys don't have to worry about talking anymore, <laughs> which I do appreciate. You know, I do. I do appreciate how much you do for the show and how you line up most of the guests, and uh, you you kind of um, are the main host for us, and, and we missed you. Speaking of guests, since you brought it up, let's talk about it. We got uh, Today we got on uh, Ty Brower is going to be on a 620 He's got a young guy from, I think, Marshall, Minnesota, and he he does a thing, an annual contest. It's a hunting contest. It's a Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunting Tournament and uh, out of Marshall, Minnesota, and I believe this is about the fifth or sixth year. And when they started this thing, I think it's a great idea. We've got to blast those damn things, of course, but uh, some people 
made it uh, really hard for them to, to keep going because they were complaining to the city, this is not mm-hmm. right, and that, 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 that. And, but they're pushing on, and it's something that I would love to do. It sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Good for them. Yeah, the coyote population has gotten a little bit out of control, and we need ways like this to yeah. keep the population down. I saw – Do you? I don't know if you remember me. I saw a coyote chase a turkey when I was – turkey hunting last spring oh that's right i Over couldn't at, believe it at uh, at sam's i was place. so startled by it I, I should have shot the thing but um you never know on someone else's land if, i'm sure you wanted me to shoot a coyote but yeah it was just it caught me off totally off guard so they're definitely around and they're a problem so um good for them for organizing a hunt like this and so ty brower is going to be on uh, about six twenty. then young man named uh, Tanner Cherney is going to be on it. This is a kind of the spur of the moment deal. But we've known Tan- Tanner for many, many years. And again, he texts me two days ago and says, "We did it." Uh, I forget his lady friend's name. Do you know his lady friend's name? Uh, I should know this. Uh, don't worry about it. But yeah. he, I'm sure he'll share it with us. But anyway, mm-hmm. they they hiked to uh, An- Angels Landing, I think is what it's called, in Zion National Park. And I know all about it. I've read about it. My wife and I were in Zion National Park in September or October. One of these, yeah, it must have been early October. And if, 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 honest to God, if you guys have a chance before he gets on, Google Angels Landing, Zion National Park, and now, watch some of the people, what has to happen to get to the end of and, and and he did it. Did thought, they call it Angels Landing because so many people die? I think, uh, and again, I, I always have the right stories but the wrong facts. I think 12 people have died since 2000 trying to climb up to the end of Angels Landing. That Something. sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, it's it's Watch it. It'll scare the hell no out of thanks. you. So I want to hear all about that from Tanner Chairman be on first. How was your three weeks, man? I missed you. What, what Anything special happened? Well, it's been... Uh, a rare break in youth sports for me, although I did do a bunch of meetings for coaches that's starting up, uh, Little League is starting up. I did do have a great pigeon shoot last Tuesday with a bunch of great clients from Runnings and The Flush. Uh, Bill Shirk and Travis Frank from The Flush TV show joined, and it was it was a fun thing. Have you ever done anything like that? Uh, I There's not a chance in hell I could shoot a pigeon. It, they're I, not that hard to shoot. I have they're, a hard time tough. hitting. I have a hard time hitting a pheasant. You can powder one, and they keep flying. Um, really? So they are they are tough to hit. But the thing about this is, there's guys lined up in a row, and it's just like bam, 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 bam. <laughs> so, so unless the bird gets way up in the wind, which happens quite a bit, or some of them just land right in a tree, it's 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 a strange thing. People are kind of around a grove. And there's trucks in the middle of the grove, and they have trucks full of pigeons. So they just throw them up in the air, and they right. fly wherever they want to go. Right. And so once they get out in the open, it's like a shooting gallery. Yeah. You know, everyone's blasting. It's actually a surprising amount of pigeons make it through. It's by Prior Lake at the Horse and Hunt Club. I thought it was funny in my mind that they're releasing all these pigeons, and if there's just pigeon crap all over Prior Lake, you know, <laughs> there's just hundreds of pigeons. Yeah, and then I yeah. thought about setting a decoy, just put a statue right there, and then they well, all just have to land yeah, on it. Yeah, there right? you go. That's so a, that was a, that was a lot of fun. Put a it, statue of Pelosi out there, and it'll be uh, <laughs> yeah. the wrong it, line. Uh, it, it would be a great exercise for dogs in the off season. We had some dogs there, and they had an awesome time running and fetching all the pigeons. I don't know what they do with the actual pigeons. If they don't eat them, right? Do, do, you, do you somebody eat, does? Oh, I somebody bet. does, I suppose. Yeah, unless they make it for dog food, I have no idea. But so based on what you're talking about about the activity. That based on the number of shots that are fired at each pigeon, it might be about twenty dollars a bird, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> There's how many shells are going yeah. through there. That's funny. I think it costs like ten dollars a bird to really 
to raise. To shoot a, to, they're raised on a farm, right? And released. I think we shot 250. Yeah. And that was like half the size of a larger party. But yeah. um, it was it was tons of fun. I got to shoot a, a new Budnelli a rifle. I've never shot in one of those nice ones before. So I did that. Um, what else before we get to your trip? I got my new turkey decoys. Really excited about turkey season coming up. Good. And for the longest time, I've complained about not shooting a turkey. So I I blame uh, what I have for equipment. I had some just some old shells that my dad gave me that are all crumpled and not the best decoys on the planet. So I bit the bullet and bought two nice decoys, um, and I'm excited to use those. Well, good for you, they man. Came highly recommended. So you were the world traveler. You traveled the world. You you went through the Panama Canal. Why don't you give us a rundown of an epic trip. What was funny is, and it makes sense now that you said you had Wi-Fi two days. I wouldn't hear boo from you for a week and a half, and then I would get an absolute shotgun of pictures and scrambled text messages. Right. So I had no idea what you're talking about, and we, I couldn't converse with you because I don't know why. But it would take, you know, you couldn't get responses. But it was, it was really great what I saw. Why don't you tell us your trip and and you're what talk, you all did? First, you're talking about the Wi-Fi. They charge you twenty dollars a day per person for Wi-Fi. And um, so it'd be like, uh, you know, $40 a day for Diana and me, which is about, what, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. Who knows what that is? For, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I don't need the Wi-Fi. I'm yeah. on vacation yeah. here. But every once in a while, we'd stop someplace where we could pick it up at a, at a bar or something like that. So that's when I was going crazy. But we did have Wi-Fi. I got Wi-Fi for two days. And in the two days, I didn't miss much. Not that big of a deal. You know, the world's not going to stop spinning because I'm not here, you know. Yeah. I didn't think they're going to shut this radio show down because I was not on the air. But uh, so the whole thing, the reason we went on this trip was not because of Colombia, Costa Rica, Cabo San Lucas, all those places. It was to see the Panama Canal and see if, if you've read about it. And there's documentaries all over the place about how the Panama Canal was built. It is absolutely mm-hmm. ingenious. And they did this in the early 1900s with Teddy no, Roosevelt, right? With, I, don't know, I don't know who it was. <clears throat> Some guy with a patch on his eye or something. Was that him? No, what did he have? <laughs> What do you have? A, I don't know what he had. Was he a, a monocle? Was he in a wheelchair? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was Franklin. Oh, Roosevelt. jeepers! I got to go back. Teddy to Roosevelt was. I'm a history buff, and I'm probably wrong here, but Teddy Roosevelt, the first Roosevelt president, was the one that pushed this. And I remember watching a documentary about it. How they basically carved it by hand through the mountains. They had to dig. Remember, it, I don't know how much long it takes to get around South America, mm-hmm. but to go through this mile stretch, whatever it is, of, of land between South America and the United States, wherever the Central America, right. is they had to carve uh, 200, 200 feet deep is how, how deep they had to go from the side through this mountain area. Not exactly sure how wide it is. And then they had to figure out how to get the boats up and over the, they weren't mountainous at that time, the 200 feet, give or take, but they had to figure out how to get these boats through the canal, fill up a water chamber. They go in there and go higher that kind mm-hmm. of thing, the lower the water chamber down, it's, it is absolutely amazing. They do that. It takes about four hours to go through. There's three locks that you have to go through. And this is interesting. In order, every time a ship goes through a lock, they get charged a toll, like a toll bridge on a highway. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on how many people they have, how many containers they have, and whatnot. Our ship, I was told, probably was charged about $400,000 to go through the Panama Canal. Wow. Some of the container ships hold almost 10,000 of those boxcar kind of, you know, yeah. containers. Now, that's about $900,000 to 
to go through the Panama Canal. Wow. So I don't know. That's I don't know how they, they they make it up somehow. I suppose just maybe from time going all the way around South America. Well, it's got, must be worth it. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't do it. Obviously, yeah. but um, yeah. And didn't we basically take over that land from, and then we gave it back? Well, we and did. All this as, and that. As, as a matter of fact, it was, I, I remember that somehow we we made it happen. So we took it over and, and benefited from everything till 1970 something when Carter, being the president, was a nice guy and gave it back to Panama. And Panama gets uh, about five billion dollars a year from vehicles that go through uh, the Panama Canal. But but the the technology behind it. You no, know, they have those gates that have to close mm-hmm. when they have to, so they can put water in them. And it's all done by gravity. There's no pumps whatsoever. They have two big chambers, two big ponds on the side of the Panama Canal, and one goes up, one goes down, wherever you need the level of the water. So this, when you go over to the Pacific Ocean, that's Pacific yeah. It, it's 56 feet about. It's 28 feet. You go up again, 28 feet, then you go down, 56 feet. You know, and talk to get to the regular mm-hmm. other side of there. So there's an awful lot there, but you have to have these gates that close. It takes about a half an hour to close the gate where they can fill the chamber. You go in or whatever it's going to be. They weigh 400,000 tons, 400,000 tons, and they have two on each side in case one goes out. It is absolutely amazing. So if you have, don't have an opportunity to go through the Panama Canal, uh, watch, watch documentaries on it because it is extremely well worth seeing. There's so much to hear. How much clearance was there on each side? Yeah, that's a good question. Our boat was 168 feet wide by about 1,000 square feet. So on 168 feet, we had about 30 feet on either side. We had plenty of room. But some of those containers might have 10 feet on either side. So they have people controlling big ropes and that on either side to make sure that they keep them in the middle. Now, when our ship went through, we only needed two tugboats to get us through there. Containers, because we have a lot of control. Container ships don't have that much control as far as left and right and all that. So they had to have four or five tugboats help them get through uh, through the Panama Canal. Uh, it's really it's really neat to watch them maneuver that kind I of bet. thing. Yeah, it was uh, one of the coolest things that I've ever seen in my life. You just it's like it's amazing what people can do. How do they do that yeah. without computers back then? Right. You know, I don't understand. And think of the manpower. And they didn't have the big, you know, backhoes and whatever you call it mm-hmm. to dig 200 feet of mountain out of it so they can run this thing through. It's crazy, but it's beautiful, and it's an amazing story. They have a new canal now, which is about five years old. That's the one we went through. Uh, and it's, it gives it's for bigger Oh, so ships. you don't go through the original one? No, nope, that one's gone. They, they, it's still being used for smaller boats. Okay. Yeah. And then you have to go under a couple of bridges as well. And depending on the tide, these ships have to be very, very specific as to when they're going through this because the container ships, some of them, they might have 8 to 10 feet of clearance to go below these bridges at low tide. So you've got to be careful. So, they, of course, they know what they're doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Uh, I also found out that we were in, when we were in Costa Rica, that's a socialistic, socialistic, is that socialist? Socialist. socialist country. And... Uh, I didn't know that the, all the the uh, jobs, employment is is wages are determined by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, nurses get eight hundred dollars a month. Until recently, they were getting five to six hundred dollars a month, and they lobbied against it. And the government said, yeah, "I guess you're right. They get eight hundred dollars a month." Uh, any ships apparently that are built and can, and leave Costa Rica, the pilot of that ship gets about one hundred and ten grand. That's his that's his income a year. And that's to run this big, big, big mm-hmm. boat. And he's gone for the years and years and years of education and on-the-job training, a lot of things like that. And also, this is also interesting about Costa Rica. There's a lot to talk about the other places as well. But 
there was like a 1% tax on everything that is in Costa Rica, all right, that, that is necessary. If you buy something that is unnecessary, you are going to be taxed subsequently a lot more. I'll give an example. If you had regular tennis shoes that are worth maybe 20 bucks, and you wanted some Nikes that are worth $100, you are going to be taxed 80% of those the value over and above the regular taxes. So you have to pay $80 tax on a $100 pair of shoes. If you bought a $60,000 car and the average car is $20,000 in Costa Rica, you would pay $50,000, whatever it is, tax in addition what? to the purchase of the car. Tax. Um, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. If you bought a $100,000 car and the average car that, that is a necessity in Costa Rica, uh, you'd pay eighty thousand dollars taxes to get that car, and the guy tax the, on eighty thousand dollars or total. T- you're paying eighty thousand dollars tax. Wow! In addition to the hundred thousand dollars of the car you are purchasing, it's almost like they dissuade you from making more money. Uh, I don't know how that works, but uh, but uh, a lot of things happened. We had a lot of a great trip. The, the ship was fun. You learn a lot. We played a lot of games. I was a ping pong champion and a beanbag champion, and we just stayed really. What really are busy. some of the highlights? Oh, it's six twenty. Nope. We got to go to break. Yeah, goodbye. All right. Up next is Ty Brower. Ty Brower. Buffalo Ridge uh, Coyote Hunt. All right. Ne- up next on the Four Outdoorsman. Missed part of Bob Outdoors? No problem. Just click on the Weekend tab at mybobcountry.com to listen back to the Four Outdoorsman anytime. We all know there are a lot of hard water fans out there, and you'd ice fish every day if you could. Sam here. I prefer sunshine, 70 degrees, sight fishing for panfish, or trolling for walleyes. And if you're like me, it's not too early to plan your trip for the opener to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Wait a second. There's no opener on Devil's. Walleye season is open 12 months a year, 24 hours a day. You can keep five a day, 10 in possession, and there's no slot limit. Devil's Lake, a fisherman's paradise. Check out devilslakemd.com. Zeal Heating and Air Conditioning has let the dogs out, and their two-fur deal is back. If your furnace and air conditioner are over 10 years old, they could roll over and break down. Let Zeal help you fetch a free air conditioner with their two-fur deal. For a limited time, when you purchase a furnace, you get a free AC unit with a free UV package. Dezeal Heating and AC, serving Wright County and the West Metro. Details online at DezealHVAC.com. That's D-E-Z-I-E-L-HVAC.com. We are thrilled to once again introduce you to Balsam Beach Resort and RV Park, just five miles south of Bemidji. One of the most beautiful family resorts in northern Minnesota, Balsam Beach overlooks the shores of Lake Plantagenet, 2,500 acres filled with walleye, panfish, bass, and pretty much any species worth chasing. For nearly three decades, Patty and Clint have taken care of their guests. With so much TLC, many families return year after year to let Balsam Beach work its magic. Balsam Beach Resort and RV Park, Bemidji, Minnesota. Tired of power sport dealers not having what you want? Sick of supply chain issues excuse? Power Lodge currently has the largest inventory of CF Moto ATVs, UTVs, and side-by-sides in stock in Minnesota. The 2022 CF Moto lineup is better than ever and comes stocked with lots of great accessories like winches, roofs, USB charging ports, handguards, and more. Work smarter and play harder with CF Moto. Stop by Power Lodge in Ramsey or Onamia to see why CF Moto is the fastest growing brand in the power sports industry. 
If you owe the IRS back taxes, then get ready to pay up. The IRS has giant private collection agencies actively tracking down folks who owe the IRS. So if you think dodging them was stressful in the past, it's going to get a whole lot tougher. Optima Tax Relief has this advice. Don't wait. Solve your tax problems now before it's too late. Optima Tax Relief works to stop the demand letters, stop the aggressive collection actions, and stop the IRS collectors from targeting you. Ask Optima about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands, and nobody knows this program better than they do. Optima is A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and they get results, having resolved over a billion dollars of tax debt for their clients. Get a fresh start. Call today for your free consultation. Call 800-878-6993. 800-878-6993. 800-878-6993. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Hey, welcome back to the 4 Outdoorsman gang. Mark Lukey's here. I'm here. Aaron behind the glass is taking care of us, and our buddy Sam is under the weather. So you've got to put up with Mark and Struman here. But in the meantime, we've got a guest on the, on the line right now. Ty Brower, are you there, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? Every day's a gift, pal. Every day's a gift. Hey, Ty, spell your last name for me, would you please? Yeah, B R O U W E R. Well, that's what I have. I thought it. I thought I was wrong, but that's what I had. Hey, welcome, young man. Now, where do you live? You live in Marshall, Minnesota, someplace down there. Yes, Southwest Minnesota, here down in Marshall. You know, I've golfed at a really nice golf course in Marshall uh, a number of times. I forget the name of it. It's been years, but boy, it's it's I, Marshall's a nice part of the part of the state. Were you born and raised there? No, actually, I was born and raised um, in by Clare City, Maynard, so just 45 minutes north of here. And then uh, my life travels. I went to college in Marshall, and then I ended up moving to California for a little bit, and I got out of there as quick as I could. And I was in South Dakota for a bit, and now I'm back in Marshall. So big full circle. a boy. Ty, Mark Lukey here. Thanks for joining us. I, I used to travel for work working on buildings, uh, like school buildings. Wasn't Marshall hit by a tornado some time ago and like took out a whole school? Was that is that correct? Uh, that was Granite Falls. That was half hour north of here. Oh, okay. I digress. That was well, that Granite was Falls. it. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking hey, to a guy. Who, go, go ahead, Ty. We're, right. we're talking to a guy who blasts uh, coyotes. You want to talk to him about uh, tornadoes? Uh, yeah, tornado. That's what I would do. Ty, give us your background. I know you you love to hunt right now. Obviously, love to fish. Do anything outdoors. What is your background? What do you do for a for a career? Number one, and how did you get involved in hunting? Well, um, my career I've been uh, heavy construction sales with Ziegler Caterpillar, so it's it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Because as I'm driving around visiting my customers and going to their shops and job sites, I kind of get to do a little bit of uh, free scouting, if you will. <laughs> Recon. As I'm. As I'm heading out to the gravel pit, you know, I'm, I'm eyeing all these spots. And, you know, the wonders of Onyx Maps these days, it's just, it's been a blessing because you figure out who owns what land and where they live. And it's, that's been awesome. So, um, but it all started my, my grandfather, uncle, dad. Um, they got us into deer hunting and duck hunting and, you know, pretty much everything. Um, but it wasn't until I was probably in college uh my brother had went out my younger brother went out and tried coyote calling shot a coyote and i'm like what is this and i'm not lying when they say the snake bit took Um, (laughs) i i honestly would and this is the the total random like 
weirdo out in left field, but I'd rather go shoot coyotes than go deer hunting. And a boy, it's That's crazy. A, yeah. I don't know what it is. If you know, just calling in one of the apex predators of our state and and to fool them is just unbelievable. So you know, we'll get back to this uh, coyote hunting thing. But you mentioned onyx, and I've I've done this radio show for the we we've done it from this is our eighth year, and I've got a hunting shack in Ely, Minnesota. I've hunted and fished all my life, and I'm just one of these guys that. An armchair quarterback. I don't do anything unless someone takes me. You know, I've, I've done enough for years and years and years. All of a sudden, Mark and I went up to my hunting shack in Ely, Minnesota, maybe four years ago to, to go deer hunting. And I'm going to go back to my favorite spot right by Bass Lake, a place I used to call the Greek Stand. And, and I go there. The damn thing is posted. It's way back in the middle of nowhere. And I, I, didn't, mm-hmm. have, I didn't have any idea how this could happen. Did you buy, Mark, did you buy Onyx right there? I think you bought Onyx I right did. there. Yep. Yeah, I work with them now with the Flush, and they're partners of ours. Great great company. But, yeah, so I looked up Onyx, and we used my knowledge of Onyx to figure out who owned it and your knowledge of finding anyone in the world's phone number. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And within two hours, we had permission to hunt this land. Yeah, because the old lady, <laughs> the old lady says, my husband bought it, I don't know, five years ago, whatever, and, and uh, he's dead, so go ahead and do it. I don't, <laughs> don't want to go there anyway. That was really cool. Hey, talk about, you're talking about getting hooked. Uh, Mark and, and a bunch of guys that I know who turkey hunt, and I really have never done it, they said the same thing about turkey hunting. If you do it once, you're, good, you're, you're hooked. They, it's gotcha. The same thing yeah. happened to you with, with Coyote. Oh, yeah. No, same thing. You know, I, I'm the chapter president here in Marshall for the NWTF, so um, I can attest to the whole turkey thing. But, you know, the coyote, it, it's the most frustrating sport that you'll ever do because, you know, if you're good, it's like one in every 10 stands that you're going to call a coyote. So, it's you know, that's the frustrating part. But me, I have such a short attention span that you <laughs> go out there and call for 20 minutes, half hour, you get back up, go to the truck, warm up, drive to the next stand, and it's just, you're moving. It's constantly moving. I'm not sitting in a stand for eight hours a day just hoping, you know, that a deer is going to come by or something like that, you know, coyote hunting. So that's, that's kind of one of the perks that I do. Um, you know, it, it's just constant moving and, and change of scenery. And I, I don't know. I just can't get over it. So. Ty, do you find, like, is it basically if something doesn't come within 20 minutes, it's not going to happen? How How does that work exactly? Is it... Are they always roaming around, and if they're not there, they're not there, you just move? You know, um, I've got a pretty good idea. You know, I've been out here for 10, 15 years now that I've got a good idea kind of where the coyote should be and everything like that. Um, but for a new coyote hunter, let's say, and you're going to go out, um, first thing is, is you got to play that wind because the coyotes live and die by the wind. Um, but once you get into stand... You know, you get a response. If we get a response, we'll sit half hour, 45 minutes. We'll go up to an hour um, knowing that there's coyotes there and we start playing with different sounds, um, changing volume, um, just trying to throw some scenarios out there that's going to catch the coyotes here. Um, but there are times when it's just dead quiet. Um, there's uh, We kind of watch the crows. I've called in. I've played crow distress and have called in coyotes before. So it's not just calling coyotes. It's the rabbits. It's the bird calls. It's. Mm-hmm. You know, just throwing different scenarios out there. But, you know, to get back to your, your initial question, after 20 minutes of nothing happening, it, half the time we pack up and half the time it's like, you know what, let's give it five more minutes. Just if it feels like a great stand, let's give it a little bit more time because coyotes move fast. Um, I I heard a great way of playing it is, you know, a dog can run a mile in like six or seven minutes. And 
if you don't see see or hear something in the first ten to fifteen minutes, which would give a, a coyote trotting time, um, you know they're they're not going to come. In, you know if they if they hear it, they're going to come in. Well, sometimes they do, and sometimes it just doesn't perk their interest. So that's where I I kind of come down with the fifteen twenty minute stand. So and maybe I should sit longer, but. We're talking with Ty Brower of uh, Marshall, Minnesota, in that general area, and he's in southwest uh, Minnesota. Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt. Let's tell us, how, tell us how this thing, this sounds like an absolute riot. Mark and I would love to be down the next year and be part of this thing. That would be a lot of fun. Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt. How did this thing start? Well, um, the monotony of winter is what started it. So we love ice fishing, but ice fishing can kind of get old after a little while. And I said, you know, the breeding season's in February. Um, let's try something else. So we, it was named, it did have another name. Um, when we first started this, um, the NWTF and PF got together and locally we named it save the birds, but then the antis got a hold of it. And that's a whole nother story (laughs) that would take another, another radio show to to go through that. But, um, it was just to change up the monotony. A lot of us like to go shooting in the summer and we needed something to get together in the winter. So I started this. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, I said, we got to get some calls. We got to get some prizes and we got to do belt buckles for, for the winners. And, and one of the guys goes belt buckles. And I said, you know, I follow a lot of the Western coyote hunting, uh, tournaments and, he goes, all right, just order them. We'll see how it goes. That was the, that was the number one thing. Everybody wanted those buckles. That's cool. It was just phenomenal. And every year it's gotten bigger and bigger. And, <laughs> you know, we'll get, I think the biggest year we had, we had a, um, like 86 teams, two-man teams. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's and a it's lot. A, a 24-hour hunt. Um, so that way, you, and this was before thermal and night vision was legalized too. Um, but guys wanted to go out with the moonlight we always planned it on the first full moon of january or february and uh they got their one night hunt and one day hunt and he came in we weighed them um and whoever shot the most coyotes won and if there was a tie it was by weight so you know two teams came in with five whoever had the most weight out of the five was the winning team and you win belt buckles we give away guns and cash and calls and i mean we partnered with so many great companies that have really helped us out. We've kind of been a premier hunt within the tri-state area. I would say we pull people from Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota. We get North Dakota, Wisconsin. I've had a few come up from Missouri and try it. So, do you uh, is, good following? Is is there a limit on the number of hunters you can have, and, and what does it cost to to be able to get involved with this hunt? Yep. So it's uh, it's two man teams, um, and it is a calling contest only. And what it is, it's $60 a team. And this year we had to change it up just with um, availability. But every year, every pre-registered team gets a free T-shirt per um, participant. So now, you know, we've got thousands of our Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt T-shirts out there for advertising. But then, um, you know, so you, you get entered. And then the local bar that kind of hosts us, they give everybody a free drink for that Saturday during check-in. Um, they've got a meal that they do for us and it's just a great get together you know kind of like any of these other fishing tournaments coyote tournaments or whatever everybody gets together we have a grand old time hand out a bunch of prizes and just tell our stories all night long well, what a great idea just uh, give everybody cocktails before they put their guns back yeah <laughs> that's just, after that's, that's, that's after. a good that's a good deal <laughs> hey mark 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 mark's got a comment i have a question um what do you mean by calling only tournament just can you clarify that just for me 
so um, when when we're out coyote calling, you can use hand calls or electronic calls only. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that um, use collar dogs that chase them out of creeks mm-hmm. and bottoms and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then some people, you know, they drive around. They do kind of like a deer push for coyotes through groves and stuff like that. And we kind of want to limit that because, you know, calling contests, it's fair for everybody. It's an equal playing field. There's no advantage to using vehicles, dogs, trapping, anything like that. It's just a straightforward calling contest. Cool. That's great. So how many coyotes were harvested in your last your last contest? Um, this year, I think we had about 20 to 25. Um, our biggest year we had was 80. Wow. in one 24 hours tournament yep wow. it was unbelievable what uh what happens to the coyotes after you harvest them where do you where do you dump them or do you feed to feed homeless <laughs> well, or what actually, yeah so actually we have a fur buyer um out of cottonwood that actually um buys them from us and then um so the the tournament retains all the coyotes and then we sell them to the fur buyer and then what we use we do with that money is we actually work with the dnr on local properties for habitat enhancement. So just two years ago, we planted like 13,000 trees and bushes on a property just southeast of Marshall that we, inha- we you know, for pheasant hunting and deer hunting and turkey hunting and everything else, we're, we're working with Pheasants Forever, National Wild Turkey Federation, the DNR, to enhance these habitats for everybody to use. That's, That's fantastic. That's all this money goes. You know, what's really cool about that is something that started to be just let's go have some fun turned into something that's not only you're helping a lot of people, you're having a lot of fun, but you're doing a lot of good with a lot of that money as well. That is really, really cool. You never thought this would get this big. Yeah. Yeah, and actually we just worked with um, National Wild Turkey Federation and PF last year, and we bought 130 acres down by the Russell, Minnesota area to open up more land for public hunting. That's kind of our claim to fame, so we've been putting up our signage and all that stuff just to, you know, let people know that the money's going somewhere. Um, you may not see it right away, but it takes a lot of time for all this to happen. And, you know, every year we're working with all these organizations from our small coyote hunt to help, you know, all these hunters. Good for so you. It's Good. kind of a thank you back to them. Yep. Well, thank you for doing that. That's that's fantastic. Um I can imagine that the local hunters and landowners are pretty open to you hunting coyotes on their land. It's probably a lot easier to get permission for that just for time of year than it is deer hunting per se. Uh, is is the local area pretty open for you to use the land? Yeah, so there's a lot of public hunting out here. And actually, I would say half half of my hunting is on public land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I had mentioned earlier that I am blessed to have a, a job where you know, I kind of get to find more private land. Um, I've only ever ran into one or two landowners that have said no, but that's solely for the fact that they wanted their nephews or somebody, you know, family member to hunt. Uh, And I've only ran into one anti-hunter that said no, but I had permission completely around their property. So without them knowing, I was still helping them with their coyote control. (laughs) Hey, Ty, how does someone sign up for this thing? I know it's a long ways away. February is eight or nine months away before you do the next one in 2023. But what is your timeline involved to getting involved? Yep. So what we do is probably right before Thanksgiving, probably mid-October, if not anything like that. But mid-October, early November, we um, have a Facebook page, Buffalo Ridge NWTF. 
Um, we put all of our announcements out there. We put all of our registration forms out there. Um, and then we also mail out the, the form and the poster with the registration form on the bottom to everybody that wants to join. So let's say October 15th, we post it online. You email us, say, hey, I want a registration form. I'll email it to you. You print it off, cut off the registration form on the bottom, send it in with your payment. Well, then we have a, um, a spreadsheet that we categorize everybody and just put them all in there. And then when you show up, you've been pre-registered and you prepaid, so we'll have a package with the bands that go around the coyote's mouth, the drink tickets, the T-shirts, um, everything that you need for that hunt, because then we require the hunters to um, show up at our pre-registration meeting, which we've done in the past, but now we've tried it virtually this year, and we might be going that way because it was a lot easier for people like yourself who yeah. are not close to Marshall. Right. Uh, you guys could pre-register virtually, but then when you shoot coyotes and you got to bring them in, both team members have to bring them in on Saturday night. Okay. Interesting, young man. Do you guys get together before the hunt? Do you have meetings prior to this kind of stuff as well? Yeah, yep. So we actually have a pre-meeting just to kind of go over all the rules and make sure everybody's aware. Um, the local DNR officer, um, both of them that are in the area, are at our meeting just to kind of show support that, you know what, we know what's going on and we appreciate what you guys are doing, but just make sure you're doing everything lawfully. Hey, Ty Brower, this is the Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt. i tell you what, I'm going to contact you when I get off the show and, and, uh, and make sure I, when – I want to get down there when you guys have your pre-meeting just to meet you and a couple of the guys and just have a couple of beers and hear stories. It's all about stories for me, man. There's got to be a whole bunch in your coyote hunt. Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt, people go to Buffalo Ridge uh, NWTF, right? And they can get a hold of you and get forms and whatever they need and hear all about the the hunt. That's correct. I'm excited for it, man. Buffalo Ridge Coyote Hunt on Facebook. All right. Thanks again, young man. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for giving back because that's what it's all about. Thank you. All right. Take care, Ty. That was yep. fun, man. Right. Wouldn't that be fun? Man, I would love to try that. Yeah. Well, let's give it a shot. I have the gun. I have an AR. I'll, be, I'll, I'll do the calls for you. I'll do the rabbit call. <laughs> With the remote? Let's bring it up. Give us a music, young <laughs> man. With the remote. Yeah, I'll use that. Yeah. <laughs> be right back with uh, Tanner Cherry talking about uh, his climb up to Angel's Landing. What would you do with an extra thousand dollars? Paying bills, gas for the summer, or some extra vacation cash? Whatever it is, Bob FM wants to foot the bill. Tune in Monday morning at eight to learn how you could win Bob's bankroll. It's your chance to win one thousand dollars plus a chance at the ten thousand dollar grand prize. We all know there are a lot of hard water fans out there, and you'd ice fish every day if you could. Sam here. I prefer sunshine, 70 degrees, sight fishing for panfish, or trolling for walleyes. And if you're like me, it's not too early to plan your trip for the opener to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Wait a second. There's no opener on Devil's. Walleye season is open 12 months a year, 24 hours a day. You can keep five a day, 10 in possession, and there's no slot limit. Devil's Lake, a fisherman's paradise. Check out devilslakemd.com. A Balsam Beach Resort and RV camp is incomparable, and the fishing is superb. I'll tell you what, check out these reviews. These are true reviews. Number one, awesome place for friends and family. Glad to be back. Number two, by far the best resort we've ever stayed at. Number three, Patty and Clint are tremendous hosts. This was our fifth year at Balsam Beach on Lake Plantagenet. Number four, hey, we've come here for many years. It's always great fishing. And the last one I'm going to say, the pool and the grounds and cabins are perfectly maintained. About sums it up. Balsam Beach Resort and RV Camp on Lake Plantagenet. It's just five miles south of Bemidji. Dezeal Heating and Air Conditioning has let the dogs out. (laughs) 
and their two-fur deal is back. If your furnace and air conditioner are over 10 years old, they could roll over and break down. Let Dezeal help you fetch a free air conditioner with their two-fur deal. For a limited time, when you purchase a furnace, you get a free AC unit with a free UV package. Dezeal Heating and AC, serving Wright County and the West Metro. Details online at DezealHVAC.com. That's D-E-Z-I-E-L-H-V-A-C.com. Hear ye, hear ye, the Second Amendment lives. Crocodile Productions Gun and Knife Show is back this Saturday and Sunday at the Lakeville Hasse Arena. New guns, old guns, accessories, antiques, and more. Saturday 9 to 5 and Sunday 9 to 3, only $7 per day. Kids under 12 free with an adult. That's Crocodile Productions Gun and Knife Show this Saturday and Sunday at the Lakeville Hasse Arena. Details at CrocodileProductionsInc.com. That's CrocodileProductionsInc.com. Spring is right around the corner, and you just remembered your trailer needs to be serviced before the season starts. Crystal Welding has you covered. Crystal Welding in Maple Grove offers a wide variety of services, including welding, maintenance, and repairs for all types of trailers. Crystal Welding is your one-stop shop for all your trailer needs. Go to crystalwelding.com for more information. Crystal Welding. Solutions. Service. Results. Mark here for my favorite power sports dealer, Power Lodge. Why do I love Power Lodge? They just donated a loaded CF Moto C Force 600 ATV as the grand prize for this year's Minnesota Bound Crappie Contest on Lake Minnetonka, May 7th, to benefit Fishing for Life. How cool is that? You can check out the grand prize or other models in the new lineup of CF Moto ATVs at the Power Lodge in Ramsey or Onamia. Work smarter and play harder with CF Moto. Plenty in stock and ready to ride. Hey, we're back with one of our newest friends. Actually, he's a very old friend of ours, Tanner Cherney. But Tanner Cherney, you got to hang on for a couple of seconds because you know the you know the gig around here. Mark's going to do a couple of shout outs. All right, thanks everyone for writing to the Four Doorsman shout out. If you want to get your comment read, just comment on our Four Doorsman shout out before every show. On Sunday, we have a bunch here. We'll try to get through them. Uh, Brian Amberg says, Mason won his first shooting trophy of the clay season. High school leagues are starting up soon. Congratulations, Mason. Great picture there. Cameron Jacobson said, got out Saturday for the first paddle of the year. Felt good to be back on the water. Uh, Bill Katz, our friend from Katz Cover, says, welcome back, Drew. Have a great show, guys. Justin Zeissen, a video of him firing up his two-stroke there, is getting the boat ready. I'm not quite ready for that yet, but... Congrats to you. He must be going on the river. Jesse Koskinimi says, what an awesome weekend. I found out Saturday night I won an inclusive access deer hunt at the Ox Ranch in Texas, and I shot a couple of my Weatherbees today. And our friend Dale Eggert says, kicking back after hosting the Minnesota Sporting Collectibles show at the Medina today. We had a great show and met some of the four outdoorsmen listeners. Thanks, Dale, and I'm glad you had a great show. Hang on a second. Is Tanner, Tanner are you there right now? Yeah. All right, hang on. Hey, yeah. Hey, Brandon, are you there? And Aaron's there, right? Yes. Uh, Ty Brower just, just called back in and says, and it just texted me and said, it's really scratchy again. I don't know why that's happening once in a while, but I don't know. Maybe you can sound How a bigger. sound of Tanner? Are you hearing uh, a Tanner, lot of distortion? Yeah, Tanner, can you hear me really well? I can hear you. Yep. Pretty clear? I'll take that as a no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me clearly, Tanner? I can hear you clearly. Sir. Okay. All right. Go ahead. We'll, we'll work it out. Uh, thanks. Hey, welcome to be, welcome back to the show, young man. How are you? 
I've been good. How are you guys? It's been a long time since we've chatted last. Well, since you dumped us, you know, you left Devil's Lake and fell in love and moved about three hours away, and and we don't get to see you anymore. But uh, that's uh, it's, it's part of life. It's, it's part of growth. But uh, so we're doing very very well. And every day is a gift. I say it all the time. But I tell you, the reason I wanted to call you because you texted me a couple of days ago, and you said that you and what's her name? I apologize. What's Gwen? Gwen G W E N, right? All right. Correct. Yep. You and Gwen, who love to hike, you love to camp, you love everything outdoors, you decided to, to go to Zion National Park and, and tackle what is called Angel, Angel's Landing. That's, I believe, that's what it's called, right? It is. That was an absolutely amazing hike to do, and I, I have you to attribute to learning about it. Well, I had a chance to, to go to Zion's National Park with my wife, Diana, on a tour about three months ago, whatever it was, but... And I saw some people on top of this ledge. It's 1,500 feet up in the air. <laughs> and I can see little bitty, bitty people way the <laughs> hell up there. And they're walking across a, a piece of land that is maybe four feet wide with 1,500 feet straight down. And I thought, you people are crazy. Then I get a text from you. You said you did it, so you also are crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, uh, yeah, we got to Zion. It was last well, a little over a week ago, and you know we toured the place, did a couple of little trails that we hiked on, and then just per your recommendation, you made that comment about Angels Landing, and we both like to you know per se quote unquote live on the edge a little bit, and we decided like let's try it and go up there and just see what it's all about. I mean, worst thing that happens is we don't want to do it, we turn around, and uh, yeah, it it was everything that you could imagine. If you go on YouTube and you pull up the the hiking trail. It's pretty sketchy, to say the least. <laughs> you know, they go ahead, Mark. Well, I, I did spend a lot of time this afternoon, and kudos to you. I, I, I don't think I could do it. I just don't like heights. Were there times that you were hiking when you were just clutching that chain going, what am I doing up here? Yeah, there were. You know, we actually got to the point, so it's a two-and-a-half-mile hike up to the point where the last half-mile they call the chain section, which is the part that you see is the most sketchy. And we sat there for, I don't know, probably it was about 10 minutes, but felt like eternity, just looking at it like, all right, we can go up to the summit. It's another half mile. Everyone's like, it'll take another hour. And it was starting to get a little bit closer to dark, and people were coming off, but we both looked at each other and finally were like, you know what? We didn't hike all this way. We didn't travel 1,500 miles down to southwest Utah to turn around. We're going to get back to the bottom. We're going to go have a beverage at the bar and say, you know what? We regret not doing it. So we, uh, we mustered our courage up in. Yeah, there was a couple spots where you're holding on to that, tri- that chain link and uh, you get a 40-mile-an-hour gust across the top of that rim. <laughs> it, uh, even, even as a full-grown adult who has been on some pretty crazy adventures, it, it gets your adrenaline going, that is for sure. What was the, uh, the steepest part of the trail? There was a couple spots where you actually had to be in pretty good shape to get to the complete summit. Um, there was a little bit of a chain you could hold on to, and I bet you from where my footing stopped, I bet you I had to pull myself up about four and a half feet to the next footing ledge where, I mean, it wasn't rock climbing, but it was the closest thing you could to be, to be in, in this, uh, a carabiner and actually climbing a, a vertical wall. So there was a couple spots where I'd say you have to go up four or five feet just to pull yourself up to the next ledge where you could get your footing in there. If anyone got stuck up there, and I wonder if this is happening, because I know I read someplace, and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably followed it as well, that I think uh, uh, 12 people, I think, have passed away since the year 2000 falling off of that trail. Did, 
are there people up there, have you heard stories about people getting up there and saying, I can't move either way and have to get somehow hauled back down? You know, I, I think there's been scenarios like that. I don't know how or what happens with that, but just that day we were up there. Um, we ran into a couple of wives that stayed back at the, the main part of the trail, and their husbands went up. And, you know, you actually did have some cell service up there, and they called back and said, it's going to be a while before I get back. I've uh, literally froze myself up here in just sheer, like, panic. And, yeah, there's a lot of times where those guys are just and Thank goodness we weren't one of those. We were able to kind of take some breaks and not get over anxious with uh, fear of heights and everything. But there, just that day, there were quite a few people that said, that we had to stop for about an hour on the trail just to, to muster our courage back up to either continue on or, or turn back at that point. But uh, could get yourself into a pretty good dilemma pretty quick up there. I know the most of the trail, the, the, the most treacherous part of the trail is the last half mile or something where the chains start. Were there areas of this trail that had very little room on either side that where there were no chains that you could, when you took a step off the edge, you're going down 1,000 feet? There were definitely a couple spots where it might have been six feet across at the most. And, you know, six feet seems like a lot when you're thinking about it. But when you think about 1,500 feet to the bottom on either side of you, it, it doesn't look like that much. And, yeah, there were some areas, especially, you know, just the hiking part of it's treacherous. But then you deal with the other people, too. And it's a one-way trail. And there's a lot of times, luckily, we did it in the afternoon towards the evening, so it was a lot quieter. But I can see how you can get into some situations where you've got 20 people trying to pass you and you're in a spot where you can't really just hold on and stay there you've got to either backtrack to a little bit of a landing or not but yeah there is there's some tiny spots to cross at the at the peak of it i think i would probably spend and and this i'm not being facetious here i'd spend a lot of my time on hands and knees i don't think i would feel i don't care six feet's not very wide i'm a small man but a, a gust of wind could blow me off that thing in a flash i think i'd be on my hands and knees did you see anybody doing things like that uh, we were in a couple of spots on the way down where it was steep on the way up. Uh, I felt way more comfortable sledding on my butt and kind of holding on with all four and almost having four points of contact coming down in some of those steep areas. And it seemed like as we got later in the day, the wind picked up even that much more. So the lower profile you had, it seemed I had a little bit more sense of security. Yeah. I can't believe that in this day and age that they're still people are still allowed to do that and it's not roped off. Did you have to sign some sort of waiver or something? We didn't, but we actually got very lucky. Um, another reason it's like, oh, we would have regretted this in the long run was actually just a couple of days ago here, April 1st, just because with COVID and the, the popularity of the national parks and all these trails, it's gotten so busy that's become a lot of the dangerous part. Mm-hmm. So as of April 1st, you have to actually now apply for a lottery permit to get even the opportunity to hike that trail. So you're not even guaranteed to hike it anymore. Um, they're just trying to reduce the amount of people on it and safety purposes. So we were one of the last few that had the open ability to just, when you got there, you could hike it. You didn't have to sign in, have it to permit or anything of, of those nature or that sort. You know, when I first saw the video of this, after I went to Zion National Park and saw people climbing up there, and I went and looked at the, the video of a couple of different videos. So seriously, whether you want to do this or not, look at, go Google it and find the YouTube of Angels Landing. There's three or four videos that you can find that'll just blow you away. What I thought of was, I want to meet the people who are the first people to go up there and, and pound, you know, those stakes in. <laughs> yeah, the and, workers? And, yeah, the workers with, <laughs> with no safety stuff and, and put those chains in there. That had to have been treacherous. It's crazy. And do you trust – did you ever second, second 
you know, second thoughts about the safety and the security of these chains. Are they in there properly? I, you could tell where they've actually been moved. You know, I don't know how recently, if it's been 10 years, 15 years, but you can see where they've adjusted and repounded those posts back into the, the bedrock that's there. But, yeah, I'm with you. You look at that, and I'm like, man, I've got a little bit of security here, but I can't imagine coming becoming the first person up here and, and setting this up because that's, that could not have been easy or yeah. Very enjoyable. Somebody had to drill those holes in the with a drill, you know, fifteen hundred feet up in the air on a three foot piece of rock. You got to be kidding me! Hey, you know, did you get some? Did you videotape yourself or just take photographs? You know, I so the way we did it on the way up, Gwen Gwen led the way, and I kind of stayed behind. And I, for whatever reason, I must have had some courage. I had my phone in my hand most times. I had one hand on the, the chain link railing. And then my phone and the other one just to get videos because the pictures almost don't do it justice. You have to have the videos just to show, like, all right, here's what you're holding on to. And then literally two feet away is the you know, valley floor at 1,500 feet. With your experience, so I did get some videos. Yeah. With your experience in the woods and hiking and camping and fishing and hunting your entire life, I can't believe you didn't have a GoPro with you. Uh, you know, we didn't actually have full intentions of doing this trail. We were going to do some slot canyons and some other things. And then when we got there and realized just, the the sheer popularity of it and that there wasn't a lot of people we kind of it was a spur of the moment idea so i i regret not having a gopro because that would have really captured the whole moment that much more but i also i think it also helped us uh, really take the whole hike in and didn't have a lot taken away by trying to put every little single bit of it on video or captured on photos the question that mark asked you about um permits or signing waivers and whatnot is a very important one i think because there has to be some kind of restrictions as to how old someone can be and all that. Or when you're in the park, you're in the park, and can a parent take a 10- or 12-year-old kid up there if they felt that the kid could do it? You know, there were a few kids up there, but they do have it listed in, like, the park guidelines about that trail being the most strenuous and, like, not recommended for children under 12 years old, I think. I don't know if they enforce it heavily, but I couldn't imagine having a little kid up at that peak of the summer where you get the wind gusting because... You know, 175-pound guy like myself, I can hold myself a little bit when you get that wind, but I couldn't imagine a 60-, 70-pound kid, if the gust hit him just right, that they would slip up there. So I don't, I don't think it would be the best place for kids to hike. When you and Gwen have your cute little – oh, we've got to wrap it up here. I was going to ask you, and you have your first little child at the age of 10, 11, 12 years old, would you uh, suggest he would go up there with you? I actually wouldn't. I would. Uh, I'd want to take him on a few other things before I get him accustomed to that. Congratulations! That would be a build up too. You're a great young man. I tell you, I can't wait to see you again uh, sometime, maybe in, in Devils Lake this summer. But this is Tanner Cherney. I'm telling you, look up Angel Falls uh, and, and have a barf bag by your side when you're watching the video. <laughs> hey, take care, you buddy. Say hi to Gwen. Say hi to uh, to, uh, to Susie when you see her on Thursday in Devils Lake as well for us, would you? I will do that, Stu, and I can't wait to see you guys this summer. We're going to have to have a beer. It's long overdue, and uh, you guys take her easy. All right, send me a couple of those videos if you would, whatever you got. I will do that. Take care, buddy. It's, uh, uh, it's crazy. What time we got there, we got, Aaron? We got a couple minutes. Oh, okay, 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 okay. What, want to talk more about the, uh, the cruise, or what do you want to do? Yeah, what was your favorite stop? Like, uh, I know I've taken one cruise in my life, and, and that was the highlight for me is just – 
exploring some of these places you never would go to if you weren't on a cruise. What what was the your favorite stop? I can probably tell you Diana's favorite spot first, which is uh, we went on we took like six excursions. We're gonna the boat's gonna stop. You're gonna get off the boat and spend. They're all about hundred bucks a piece, you know. And big deal, you do it because you're never gonna do it again. But one of the things that was really cool. This was in uh, Cabo San Lucas. Uh, we went and did a, a, a salsa making class, hmm. and uh, with margaritas included and all that, and we did some salsa dancing as well. They taught us how to make five different salsas from scratch, and it was like a two or three hour deal, and that was a lot of fun. We didn't get a chance to go to Cabo San Lucas a lot, but that was a fun, fun, fun deal. Did they let you bring it back on the boat? Oh, we ate it all right there. Oh, nice. Yeah, we ate it all right there. You can't bring anything back in the boat, to be honest with you. Uh, but ours was a, a place called, let's see, I don't even know what, what stop we were at, but it was called Embura, E-M-B-U-R-A, Indian Village. And after we got off the boat, we took like an hour and a half bus ride back through the boonies to a place like a, looked like a, a, a small river, a, a creek almost. And there were natives there that had 14 or 15 foot dugout canoes that they dug out by hand. And they took us about probably a couple of miles down this river to one of their villages. And there, there are only three. In the canoe? Yeah. Wow. And there's only three. What, they had 10 horse Suzuki's on them oh. now. Yeah, they, yeah. They, don't, they, didn't, they, didn't show you the, they didn't show you the motors in the brochure, yeah. right? But, they hand-carved the canoe and then yeah. fired up their two-stroke. <laughs> but anyway, so, they, uh, so you go about two or three miles back into their village, and they show you how they live and how they eat, and they do some dancing and whatnot, and all about their, their whole deal. It's really, really interesting. Did they have shirts on? Uh, unfortunately, the women all have shirts Aww. on. Yeah, there again. Remember I sent you that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they promoted as well that be careful. Some of the women, don't be offended. They may be top. Well, that's okay. Well, yeah, I've got <laughs> that. Didn't I, stop you? No, I saw one lady had no head. I didn't know that what they meant. But, <laughs> but anyways, well, that was very, very cool and very interesting. Uh, they have their own elementary school right there, and when cool. the kids and when the kids have, get to be thirteen, they go to ninth grade, whatever. They have to hop on a bus and go a long ways into town to go to high school. That is, and there's only three tribes like this left in the world. Uh, in the 1950s, the government of whatever country that was took them over because they were just tearing down all the trees and everything and buildings. They, well, this, is, this is nature. So they made it into a national park, and uh, then they live there for free and have a good time and That's have tours. Great. That was really cool. Hey, we've got to wrap it up here. Uh, Strewman, thanks you for uh, joining the Four Outdoorsmen. Mark as well. Aaron behind the glass. We're hoping Sam gets better. Uh, every day truly is a gift. In the meantime, uh, my buddy Mark's got something to say. Get outside and make some memories. <laughs>